Well, good morning, Thrive. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Man, it's great to have you guys with us today. We're in a series, and every November we talk about the thing that people hate in church the most, generosity. Uh, right? Uh, we're in a series called The Key to Everything. And what we learned last week was that gratefulness is the emotion that creates the action of generosity. And the action of generosity creates joy and gives us a deeper sense of purpose in our life. And so I'm excited to be in week three of this series. And if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 this morning. That would be Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Um, a recent study was done, and it showed where people thought they were generous and were they generous. It was uh, super interesting. So, so without a show of hands, I'd like to ask you the question. Do not raise your hand. Don't look at your spouse. Are you greedy or are you generous? Because I believe that 99% of us in here would probably be honest and say, yeah, no, I'm generous. What are you talking about? I'm super, you don't know how generous, like my middle name's generous, right? We would all say that. However, the study showed that 55% of people said that they were generous in an anonymous survey. So they're, hey, look, I'm, I'm generous. But when statistics were looked at in America, only 2.7% of people, that's Christians and non-Christians, gave 8% of their income to a church or a charity. 2.7%. So it's like there's this gap between what I think I am and what I really am. Like there's a gap between my intentions and my actions when it comes to generosity. And so when I ask you today, are, are you greedy, are you generous? That's not as easy as it would first sound, Right? Because we live in a world that we're just surrounded with materialism. We're surrounded with the next new gadget. We're surrounded with the next new thing. Now with Amazon, right, you can just click, 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 and it just shows up in your doorstep. Now it's about four weeks later, not four days later, but it still shows up. And we live in this world surrounded by the next and the new and the gadgets and whatever your hobby is, right? Like if you have a hobby, it's always the thing that I need. And this didn't start in the 21st century. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus dealt with the same thing in the first century. So in the first century, the world was ruled by Rome. The Greco-Roman Empire ruled everything. And the Romans believed and the Greeks believed that if you had stuff, the gods favored you. It's like if you had the chariot with those rims on it, guess what? <laughs> The gods favored you. You're like, man, look at the rims on that chariot. Yeah, yeah, the gods are really with, uh, like, Billy. He, he's got it. He's got the favor. Or, like, if you're, you know, your camel had those gold teeth, you know, you're like, that camel, man, that, that, he, he's got it going on. The gods must really be with him. And if you didn't have stuff, here's what they thought about you. Man, the gods have cursed that guy. The gods are not with him. He doesn't have anything. He's not rich. And not only that, but the Jews believed the same thing. Now, out of Deuteronomy you know, chapter 28, we know the blessings and curses for Israel and, and what God had commanded them. They started looking at outward signs of God's favor. So if you had the stuff, you were blessed. And if you didn't have the stuff, somehow God must be mad with you. He was against you. And you're on the outskirts of society. And in Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus' inaugural sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, not the Sermon on the Mound. I was teaching a bunch of students one day, and she, and she said, Pastor Kevin, did Jesus teach from a baseball mound? I was like, no, 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 no. It was in the rural south. I said, the mount, the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's believed by scholars that Jesus taught this sermon many times as he traveled. We have it recorded once in Matthew and once in Luke, 
But many scholars believe this was Jesus' go-to message. Like when he would travel to different areas, they didn't have any way to spread, you know, information and, and, and get information out about, about sermons, that he would go and he would teach this. The blessed are, remember that? Blessed are this, blessed are that. And what Jesus is doing in Matthew 6 is so important because what he is showing them is there's values of the kingdom of God that is going to come. Like after I'm, I'm, I die and I rise again and, the, and Christianity and kingdom of God is established, there are values that the kingdom of God really illustrates and there's values that the world illustrates. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, if you'll read that, he'll say, I know you've heard it said. Like I know culture teaches you this. But I have come to let you know it's not that way. And over and over again in this sermon, he just keeps sharing that with them, changing their thinking, changing their views. And it's kind of interesting. In Matthew 6, he's teaching on fasting and prayer, which were keys to the, the Jewish religion back then. They were just going through the motions of religion, and he wanted to make it alive again. And he's going through fasting, prayer, and giving. And in the middle of all this is Matthew 6, 19 through 24. And Jesus points out something very, very important. And you've probably seen this passage before. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a new light on it. But here's what he says in the middle of all this fasting and prayer and, and, and giving. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moths eat, eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Now watch this. He's changing their values. Don't store up stuff for stuff on earth. You think Johnny's favored because he's got the chariot with the rims. But I've come to tell you, here's what Jesus says. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He says, for wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. And then he goes and then he brings out something else. And you're, and you're looking at this, you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with it? Okay, so he said the treasures in heart. Now watch this. This is so important. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. He's giving you an illustration here. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? I'm going to break that down for you in a second. But then he says, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and you will love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. And then he shows you the two masters. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, he gives this illustration of the eye, right? Like if your eye is full of light and your whole body is full of light, it doesn't mean like light. Like he's using light and darkness as, as, as kind of good and bad, but he's showing you something about the eye. The way that you perceive the world is through your eyesight, right? Could you imagine if you could only see like red colors all the time? Then to you, the way you viewed the world will be different. Maybe if you're nearsighted or farsighted or if you have an eye condition you've dealt with, uh, if, you, know, you might be scared that things are closer than they seem or whatever. Have you been in the funhouse mirrors or you've been to those places that, that play on your eyesight and plays tricks on you? You're like dodging things that aren't there, right? The 3D stuff, I love the 3D rides because that's the way you're viewing it. And so it, it, it changes the way that you operate. The way that you see things dictates how you move around them. And he's saying this, the way you perceive money, wealth, and possessions will determine the direction of your life. Because 
if, if you value things the way that God doesn't value things, then you will end up living in darkness when it comes to that area. Totally devoid of how God wants it. Light is how God wants it. Light is how God shines his light on it. Darkness is, man, God's light's not on it. And so for you and I, many of us have a skewed view of money and wealth, possessions, and materialism. The way that we see it is just messed up. And if it's messed up, the way we live with it's messed up. I cannot tell you the number one issue in marriages is finance. The number one stressor in all relationships is finances. And if you don't understand how God views money, how God wants us to use money and all those things, then you will end up in your life having your life move in a direction that God doesn't intend. Because in that day, they had the same problem that we have. And he says you can't serve two masters. You'll you'll love one and you'll hate the other. See, Jesus spoke more on money than he did heaven. Why would you teach on money, Pastor? Because Jesus spoke more on that because he knew the ramifications that you could actually be a slave to money. It It doesn't matter how much you have. It's your view of it, and it's how you use it. And so Jesus comes to them and says, I want to change your view. I want to help you see it how how God sees it. I want you to understand money and possessions and poverty and all those things the way that God sees it. People that are rich in this world aren't the ones with the most stuff. It's the ones with the right perception and the right actions with that. Amen. That's the people with the most. Go to a third world country. Go over there and worship with them. You're like, man, it's too hot, too cold. They don't care. Middle of a flood, they're out there knee-deep worshiping Jesus, loving Jesus. You realize that you're probably missing something. And so if I could break down Matthew 6, 19 through 24 in just one sentence, it's, it's super easy. It's this here. A greedy person serves their money instead of God. How do you know that? Well, if you have a violent reaction to a message on generosity, you serve money. If inside you get angry because somebody mentioned the word money, you probably serve money because you're loving that master and you're, hey, no, I really love God. Loving God's not what you say about God. It's your track record and your actions, right? Jesus said, don't just honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so what I've noticed in my life, I had a violent reaction when I first gave my life to Jesus, and the pastor taught on tithing, I was, I was 19 years old. I made $6 an hour working for a concrete company. And so I said, you know what? He preached on tithing, and then I went over lunchtime. I listened to a preacher, and Tony Evans, my favorite preacher, he preached on tithing. I said, okay, it's done. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to tithe. But then the pastor was doing a series on it, and the next Sunday night, he taught on tithing off your gross income. I said, that's gross, man. I said, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to do it. But I was angry at that when he first was teaching those things. And what I've realized is anytime I have a a violent reaction to something Scripture clearly outlines, I have an area I'm enslaved to. Like like, like if you're sleeping around on your spouse and somebody preaches on adultery, you're like, oh, you'll get angry. You'll be upset. 
Wherever that, that issue is, if somebody starts poking around, you're going to violently move back to it. And the same thing happens when it comes to money. I mean, and don't you understand this? That many of us serve money instead of God, and here's how. Think about it. And, and I'm, I'm going to break this down for you, some things that I'm struggling with personally. You probably are okay with paying 6% interest to a credit card where the CEOs are out on a beach somewhere today. They probably got hammered last night and were at strip clubs. Executives are doing that. How do I know? My dad was part of a really big company, and that's what they did. They spent all the money at bars, and you're okay with that. It's fine. But you let a missionary get up here. Are you okay with Capital One and Chase and Target and every Amazon? But man, I'm talking about church planting and the gospel going forth, and there's crickets everywhere, right? See, we've got to think about that in the way that God views those things. Are we serving money or are we serving God with our money? And you've got to really come down. You may think, oh, Pastor Kevin, I've got this. I tithe. No, no, no. We have to be challenged every day with this. I mean, let me tell you for me, here's how, how it plays out. As I was praying and going over this message, and I spent you know, a couple days just like just mulling over it and praying, um, my friend sent me a card in the mail because he's going into missions. It's a guy that I mentored. Next year, you'll actually get to hear from him. And when I got the card, can I tell you the first thought that I had? I'm, I should be very open and honest. I'm not as spiritual as a guy down the street, I, I promise you. How little can I give without offending them but throwing them a bone? Maybe I can just give 50 bucks, and, and that'd be good. They'll, they'll like that, but it doesn't really put any financial pressure on me to give. That's what I thought. And I know you don't think the way. I know you probably just tithe and give you know, all your money away to the kingdom of God. You never think like that. But that's, what I, that's my initial like, subconscious thought. Not like how much can I do for him, how little can I get away with. And so for me, I realized... And I was thinking, well, well, how am I greedy? Here's how I'm, I, I spend money flippantly. I'll go to the grocery store, and I'm not looking at the best bargains and deals. I'm just throwing it in the cart, right? <laughs> That's what men do. Don't send a man to the grocery store. <laughs> Amen? I'm making sure that I have the stuff that I want for my hobbies in life. But I get a card in the mail from a friend that's going overseas and giving his life to missions, and I'm thinking, what can I do to help him and bless him? But I'm thinking in my mind, how little can I get away with without offending him? And what little sacrifice do I need to make? And, and that's what I was struggling with. And the Lord just pointed out, man, how greedy and nasty is that thinking, Kevin? And I said, Lord, you're absolutely right. And so this morning, I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, I'm asking him to help me to figure out what can I do to be generous instead of greedy? Now, now, if you've ever uh, been around church long enough, or maybe you've said this, there are sayings that, that greedy people say about money. And, and here's a person who serves money. Here's the first thing is, the church just wants my money. That's one of the first excuses and the thing they say. Oh, the church just wants my money. Let me say here at Thrive, and you've heard this. Maybe you're new today, and you hear this all the time. I, we're okay with, without you if you're not giving here at Thrive. We're doing just fine, okay? It's not try to get your money. Give to the church down the street. If you need churches to give to, I've got five churches I know that need it and are doing great gospel work in Richmond, and you can send your tithe to them. I promise you, I'm okay with that, right? God's our provider. 
The church just doesn't want your money. It's not what God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. He wants you to experience blessing. He wants you to experience true blessing, spiritual blessing, the blessing of of sacrifice, of seeing the gospel go forth, that you can sit down and lay your head on the pillow at night saying, you know what? I'm helping the gospel reach people, not only in Richmond, but around the world. It's not what God wants from you. It's what he wants for you. And so people say, well, the church just wants my money. No, you know who wants your money? You know who wants it? Amazon. (laughs) You know who wants your money? Target. You know who really, and listen, and and I love, listen, there's a blessing to have a credit card. Nothing wrong with that, right? We have our own in my home. But they profit off you getting interest. Private school institutions, which my, my wife went to for a master's degree and we're still paying, all they wanted was her money. Credit cards, all they want, the more you're in debt, the richer they are. Friends, can I tell you what I want here at Thrive? And you know our vision for 650K. You know our vision for around the world. I want to do as much as we can for the gospel and do as much as we can to make disciples and share the gospel and and plant churches and send missionaries. That's our desire here. And again, if that's not your cup of tea and you're like, man, you know, I just think you want money— Again, there's churches all across Richmond that you give to if you think there's a motive there that's wrong. So that's the first saying. The second thing is this. My money is meant to make me happy. My money is meant to make me happy. Like you've heard the saying, well, money doesn't make you happy. And you say, well, just give me some, let me try it out. (laughs) I'll be your test subject if you, you know, if you like that. But number one, there's sayings with this. My, you heard in both of these, is my if you call things my in your life, there's a possibility you've never surrendered to the lordship of Jesus. Oh, no, no, you go to church, that's fine. That's not being a follower of Jesus. Because there's a word in the New Testament called kurios. That word kurios is lord. It means master. Like, not your homeboy. Jesus isn't your homeboy. I, I, I hate those shirts. should be Jesus is my master. He's my lord. He calls the shots. And that's what being a Christ follower is. So if you think my money is meant to make me happy, it's not your money. This isn't my money. This isn't my church. You aren't my people. God owns everything that I have because he bought me with the price of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Curious, Lord, Master. And money will never make you happy. There was a study done, and the study showed this in a nutshell, that People on the study, no matter what they made, if they said they made double that, they would then be happy. That goes from those making 40,000 to those making 200,000. So those making 40, if I just had 80, if those who had 200, if I just had 400, then I'd really be there. And what you have to understand is that money can never do that. As we looked at Ecclesiastes recently, that's the story of life, that when you put your hope in money, it's like chasing the wind. The more you get, the more you want, and the more you'll never, it'll never make you happy. And some of you in life have hit high highs with money. You've had, you've had some money. And with the crash, you lost a lot of money. And now you're at a place you can soberly look back and say, I am happier now with less than what I had before. Money will never make you happy. If you believe that, why are celebrities always in rehab? Because money doesn't do it. 
And, and, and finally is this, I will give God my leftovers, not my bestovers. That's what a greedy person will say, someone who serves money. Here's what that means. Now, you need to pay your bills. Don't ever, don't ever like give and do stuff and then can't pay your bills. Number one, don't ever do that, right? So I had a person one time say, well, I can't pay my bills. I've been getting, no, pay your bills. Like you make sure you, but here's, it's not, it's not our bills. Here's what we do. I know well, this is what I do. Maybe you don't do this because I see some of your halos are glowing so brightly in here that, that you're way back. But I will, will, you know, again, spend money flippantly, go out to the, eat the food that I want. I'll go get the stuff I need for my exercise routines. I'll make sure that I'm, I'm doing this and that. And then when it comes time to give, whatever I have left, then I'll kind of just tip it. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I got $8 this month. Oh, here you go. But, man, I sure did eat good at that steakhouse, right, y'all? I want you to imagine this. A friend says they're going to make you a cake because they're so grateful for you. You've retired. It's your, they're celebrating you. And everybody's going so excited for you that you have made it to retirement. You've faithfully worked at that place for so many years. And they bring the cake over, and there's only one middle piece left. The rest of the cake's been eaten already. And they just showed up. Not even, the, not even the end piece, like, you know, with some icing on the side of it. That's the best part, right? But like the middle, and they show up and say, man, we're just so grateful. Oh, man, just, we just love you. You would be disappointed and, and slightly offended, wouldn't you? Why is that? They brought you the leftovers that they all partook of first. And friends, can I be honest? That's what we do when it comes to financial generosity. We're like, God, we love you, reckless love. Woo-hoo-hoo. woo yeah. And then we give them left. Hey, God, here you go. That's all I got left over. I had my, my fill. Now, here's your little bit left. And see, Jesus spoke about that. He said there were, there were 10 lepers, not leopards, as one kid thought when I was teaching kids' church. And my son thought. But lepers. And Jesus heals them, and only one returned to say thank you. There's just a, something in the human condition. It's given God our leftovers, not our bestovers. And so one of the, the things of Christ followers, one of the key attributes is I'm going to give God my first and my best of everything, my first of my time, the first of my energy, the first of That's why I get up early in the morning to read the scriptures first, right, and pray. God gets the first and he gets the best of my life. But many of us give him leftovers and we're okay with it. And here's what, what we do. We excuse our disobedience in one area for our obedience in another. Let me explain. Here's how it works out. If, if, a police, if the police caught you stealing, and you, you get brought down to the station. They say, now explain, explain this to us. Well, first of all, officer, you have to understand something. Yeah, I, I stole. I mean, I was hungry. I needed it. I stole. I know it's wrong. But hey, no, no, no. But listen, listen, listen. I don't murder anybody. Matter of fact, I don't even commit adultery. And, you know, I, but, but I steal. Is the officer going to be like, oh, really? You don't, you don't commit murder? But you're free to go. Go ahead. Yeah, that's, that's right. But we do the same thing with God. We're like, oh, no, 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 God, God, I, I know that, that, that you know, financially I do nothing for your kingdom. I, I, I know that, but God, I served that time. Remember they had that sign-up list? And I, was, I was there. Do you see that? That time the missionary came, I pulled that $5 bill out, and I popped that in the offering plate. I'm here, God. 
we, we can't excuse our disobedience in one area by obedience in another area. And greed is important. If you, if you think today I'm teaching you a message because, again, we, we need your money. Not do it, we're, we're doing fine. We're doing good. This is a discipleship issue, and it's a very, very, very serious discipleship issue. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you how serious it is, and this really shocked me this week. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, I've, I've never taught this passage, and it uh, might be the last time I ever get to teach you something after teaching this passage. But in 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and the church at Corinth, can I tell you something? They were really spiritual, but man, they could not keep it between, between the lines. I mean, it was the worst, like, behavioral church in all the churches. Very charismatic, had all the gifts working. Man, they were just like the, the, the river of life charismatic gift group, you know, they were going. But I'm telling you something, they behaviorally, he had to tell them, don't sleep with your mother-in-law. That's in one of Paul's letters. Some of you are like, really? It's in the Bible. He says that. But then look what he, he writes to them in 1 Corinthians 5.11. He says, I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer. That's America, right? Who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin. What is sexual sin? Any act of, of, of a, a sexual pleasure or intercourse outside of the, uh, the ordained marriage between a man and a woman. That's sexual sin. What is that? So if you're fooling around in the back seat before you're married, guess what? That's sexual sin, teens. He says, and he, and he says or is greedy. That word, Greek word, in, in the Greek that means greedy, it means greedy. <laughs> it means you have a desire for more and more in your life. Or worships idols, or is abusive, or is a drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. And he says this, and this is so important. He says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Stop pointing your finger at people who don't know Jesus. That group, man, I just need to, well, rah, 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 rah. He says, listen, listen, if you don't know Jesus, you go ahead and go do you. But here's what he does say. But it's certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Remember the little scripture about, you've heard, don't judge, can't judge me. Well, actually, that's not even in scripture. This is scripture. That we need to, to look at the lives of people and ourselves, first of all. Examine yourself, first of all. But I want you to look at this. He says that you're not to associate. This is strong language. Now, how does that all play out? I don't know. I got a, I got a, somebody's going to message me this week asking, Thanksgiving's coming. I got a friend who calls himself a Christian, family member, and they're doing this. What do I do? I don't really know. I'll be honest with you. Pray, and you, you do the best you can do with that, right? <laughs> This is strong and this is hard. But I want you to look at, at, at what Paul says here. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who is abusive, a drunkard, or cheats people. Pretty much, he puts greed in there with setting up little Satan idols in your home. That's strong, isn't it? Like, like literally, greed is on the same level as worshiping Satan. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that in church, have you? But that's what the Scriptures teach us when it comes to discipleship and following Jesus, that God takes greed seriously because of what it does to us, what it does to other people in our life, and what it does to the kingdom of God. Satan knows, if, just, just like, listen, any country, their strength is their economy. You cut out their economy, you cut out everything else. They can't build their military. They can, 
They can't continue to get stronger and stronger. You cut out the economy. And Satan knows if I can cut out the economy of God, if I can cut out believers giving to the mission of God, I can cut off the mission of God. Because it does take money for the mission of God. Just ask missionaries and church planners. And here's my fear, guys, and is this, is if we miss this, then we will pursue the American dream at the expense of God's dream. I was, had lunch with a friend this week, and we're talking about, you know, one of the key scriptures that we love is this, that God desires that all people come to saving faith in Christ. That's God's dream. And I think so many times we build the American dream at the expense of God's dream. His dream is that addictions are broken, marriages are restored, that people are living with joy and peace and finding purpose. That's God's dream. But so many times God's dream gets put on the back burner for our American dream because of the way we're taught to value things, the way that our eyes, our, our, our eyes of value are set up in this country. And so here's what I do. Um, whenever my wife wants to make a purchase, she wanted to, to make a purchase with a car last year. Um, I just love driving paid off stuff. I just, I don't care till the wheels fall off. It does not bother me one bit. I love an old car smell. Like literally like rain got, gets in my car and it got in. I finally had to, I finally like put some goo stuff in there. And like now rain doesn't get in, but it smells bad. And when I get in, I remind myself, that's what a good, that's what a good paid off car smells like. She's not the same. Let me say she's just, yeah, she's a little, a little more high standard, right? Um, so anyway, I, here's the question I always ask her. Number one, can we continue to increase our giving every year? Can we up our giving if we make this purchase? Or are you going to argue with me when I do it? Right? Come on. Secondly is this, and I'll just be honest with you, I want to make sure that for the future we do have a retirement, and if the Lord takes me early, that my son has something. My dad did that for me. My dad never made it to retirement. He worked hard, saved up retirement, and he died before he ever got to retirement. Um, and now my wife and I, he blessed us for that. I want my son to have a blessing. I don't want him to, to be left with debt that I owe and things of that nature. So I asked those two questions. Can we continue to increase our giving? My goal is 1% every year on the tithe. I'm not, I'm not, not going to tell you when I started that. But the next goal for me is to make sure that I'm continually being open to what the Lord wants with the giving. Are we able to, to continue to bless the kingdom of God? And, and here's the idea. I want you to write this down. And here's what we have to do if we're going to do that. Use your money as a way to serve God. Use your money as a way to serve God. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, who's pastoring this really affluent church in Ephesus, this modern-day Turkey in the Middle East, Man, a very affluent church. And look what he tells them. He says, teach those who are rich in this world. Do you know that you're rich if you live in America? Go to a third world country. We are rich, man. And so you're saying, why are you doing this series? Because Paul told Timothy to do it, and it's inspired. So teach those who are rich. It's my job to teach you in this world to not be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Somebody say amen, right? Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Isn't God so good? He does. He wants you to enjoy life. But then he says this, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. 
And look at the language he uses. I wonder if Jesus' teaching, which he learned from Peter and, and the rest of the boys, I wonder if Paul learned this. He said, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. That means eternally, so they may experience true life. Teach them to do good with their money. Teach them not to trust in money, which is so unreliable. Teach them to be generous. God provides these things for enjoyment. But here's the question I want to leave you with this morning, because if you're going to cure that disease of greed, here's the question. What good does the Lord want me to do with his money? I think every believer should sit down and ask that every year. Well, I've been tithing for 20 years. That, that's your problem. You've just been doing that. You've not been led by the Spirit. Some of you in here need to let the Holy Spirit lead you into what good you should be doing. What endeavor this year is God going to have you give to? What missionary, what organization? So many amazing organizations out there that are doing so much good. But a believer has to be led by the Holy Spirit when it comes to giving and to what to. There's passions on your heart. And you have a chance to fuel that. It may not even be in this church. Like I said, I don't care. I want you to experience the blessing of fueling the kingdom of God, destroying greed in your life. The only way you can destroy greed is by being generous. The only way I can root out greed in my six-year-old is teaching my, my son God jar. He's got the God jar. That money goes to God, dude. It's not yours. He gave us everything we have. And that's what we have to do. So let me ask you that. What, what good? What good is the Lord asking you this year to do with your money? What is he calling you to? See, we, we serve a generous God. God's generous. He gave us his best. He gave his son to be beaten. I wouldn't let my son get a scratch for any of y'all, just so you know. I love you, but he ain't going to a cross, much less getting a scratch for any of you, right? I, I might get a scratch for you. He ain't. Send his son so we could experience life. Generosity is a character and an attribute of God, and it should be of every believer. I want the Lord to challenge you this week and to speak to your heart on what he's calling you to next when it comes to generosity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that you were generous to us with Jesus, that you gave us your best, your first and your best, Lord, the first fruits of all creation. And so God, this morning, we pray that you would give us the courage. Help us to take that step to be generous for your kingdom. And I just pray, Lord, that there's some people who've become stale in their generosity and it's just going through the motions. Holy Spirit, speak to them this week about something they're called to give to, about a passion in their heart that they want to do in this community or around the world. And we trust you for that. And as we're here today, pray in church and Maybe you walked away from your faith, or maybe you walked away from a bad version of Christianity. You probably maybe hurt by the church. Today is your day to come to faith in Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, whether you're online or in here today. Today is your day to give your life to Jesus right where you're at today. If you want to do that, make this confession of faith. Pray this prayer after me. Say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I cannot save myself. 
I need Jesus. I need the Savior. So today, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I turn away from my old life. I repent. And I receive new life today. I receive full forgiveness of sins. I receive your spirit. God, help me to live generously for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.